Luke chapter 21, uh, verses 1 through 4, Jesus is in the final stages of his ministry. He, 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 he was 32 or 33 years of age. He lived 30 years, and after his baptism in the river by his cousin uh, John in the Jordan River, he received an anointing. The Holy Spirit came on him. From that moment, he began to preach, and his ministry began. And there were miracles, and there were healings, and there were provisions, and there were salvations. And he began to teach people about God and about how to live for God, what it meant to serve God. And as a result of that, he was throwing off some of the religious and cultural norms of the Jewish people of his day. And he had some enemies. And let me tell you today, if you're a person who is loving and serving and living truth and and making a difference, not everyone is going to like it. If you're succeeding in any area of life, Jesus was a success in ministry. However you slice it. Now, what I tell about uh, people that are successful, successful many times they end up on the cross. And Jesus ended up on a cross. But let me tell you today, people were listening because what he was saying was true and transforming their lives. And there were some people that were opposed to him. They were called the Pharisees. They were very religious. They were very devout. If you would know them in your community, you would be happy to have them as a neighbor. They were good neighbors. They paid their bills on time. They mowed their grass. They kept, they kept the lawn edged. I mean, they were good neighbors. They were straight people. They were clean people. They, they did the right thing. As a matter of fact, they took pride in them doing the right thing. And for them, religion became about rules and regulations rather than a heart relationship. And Jesus flipped that on its head and he begins to talk to them about the, the most important thing in a person's life, and that's their money. And as a matter of fact, in our story today, we find him in the temple. He's on the temple mount, and and Jewish people from all the known world would come to this place. It was the temple that Herod had built some 50 years before, 49 years before, and it was considered one of the seven greatest wonders of the world. It was one of the greatest architectural design buildings that had ever been built. It was a phenomenal building. And Herod had given his life to building this temple for the Jewish people, for the worship of Yahweh, or for the one true God. And so Jewish people would come. They would come at least once a year, but those that lived close in the region would go frequently. As a matter of fact, they would go daily to the temple. And at this particular point of Jesus' ministry, Jesus is going and he's watching people gather to give. They're at the what they call the Court of Women. It's a, a place where there were 13 boxes set up and people would come and they would drop their offering in the boxes. And this is the context. This is the events that are surrounding our story in Luke chapter 21, just to give you a little perspective on what's happening here. And beginning with verse number one, the Bible says, as Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow putting, into two very, putting in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all. Everyone say all. All. Come on, everyone say all. Just humor me there. The others. Verse number four. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in, put in all she had to live on. One more verse I want us to look at. It's in Philippians chapter four. Paul writing to the church, talking about the same area of giving and generosity and commended the church at Macedonia for their generosity. He said, guys, listen, I've been, I've been rich, I've been poor, I've had a little, I've had a lot, and this is what I've learned. I've learned that no matter what circumstance my life is, I can do, I can do, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. 
Uh, this morning, I'm going to talk to you on this idea, living a life that's all in. Living a life that's all in. Or maybe a little subtitle here. Sacrificial giving leads to legacy living. Sacrificial giving leads to legacy living. I want you to see what happened yesterday as a result of our giving here at City Church. Yesterday, or this weekend actually, starting with Friday night, there were a group of people uh, that gathered together and we put together food bags. And I got to tell you, it was one of the funnest nights of the year. There was so much energy in this lobby, in this cafe, right, Pastor Esteban? There was so much energy. We were carrying bags and stuffing bags and it was just so much fun to watch people. And then Saturday, a group of us gathered together, a whole bunch of you gathered together and, and we we handed out and distributed bags into our community. You can see some of the fun. We had bounce houses at this, at this location, the Lake Mary location. And, and uh, one of the really cool things that we got to do with so many people yesterday, as Pastor Joe mentioned, is that we got to pray for every person that wanted prayer. Can you put that picture up? We would walk people with the bags out to their cars, and we would ask the question, is there anything that we can pray with you about? And so many people, and I, they caught this picture of this young lady here praying with these two women. I got to tell you, that touches the heart of God. Come on, that touches the heart of God. We sacrificially gave so that we could legacy, so that our life could be a living legacy. Literally, we, we could make a difference. We were bringing God's love to our community one person at a time. We're demonstrated in a practical and tangible way. I'm gonna pray this morning for yesterday. Did you put the number up yet? Did you tell them how many bags we gave away? You wanna know how many we gave away yesterday? Anybody wanna know? All right, 429 bags were given out yesterday. Come on. Come on, let's give God, come on, let's give God a great big hand. Amen. I want to pray for every family that took a bag yesterday. We're still giving bags out today. We'll be giving them out all week and all the way through next week. And we actually had 574 bags to give away. Come on, give, give God a hand. Going from just a handful to seeing what God has done. I want to pray for every person that was here on this campus yesterday, every person that was received, every person that gave. I want to pray a blessing over them. Father, thank you for the generosity of your people today, and thank you for the gift of giving. Lord, we choose today to be all in for you. Every person that gave, I bless them. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for those who received the bags, Lord, who, who were able to, Lord, come and, Lord, to, to receive what you have, you have put in your hearts to people to give. And we bless them and their families. And we pray that this token of generosity would be another seed of the love of God in our heart that would draw them closer to you to realize that you are a good father who gives good gifts to their children. And God, I bless them today. I, I thank you for this moment and for this opportunity. We ask this now, Jesus, and you're wonderful and you're mighty and your awesome name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. The year was 1986. Miss Laura and I had met and I was the magnet. Or she, was the mag she was the magnet, but I wasn't the steel quite yet. <laughs> I saw this girl. I remember I called my dad. I just met Laura. I called my dad and I said, I met the woman of my dreams and there's no way she's going to get away from me. She didn't know that yet. God hadn't spoken that to her yet. And so the next couple months was a pursuit. And thank God I won. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I got the better, I got the better part of that deal. Poor Laura. She's had to be married to me 32 years. But I got to tell you, immediately, one of the things that attracted us is, is that we both really had a heart to give. 
we love to give. And we, we bought a car. We weren't even married yet. We bought a car. We needed transportation. She, we didn't ha- I didn't have a car. My car had, had conked out, and her car had conked out, and we needed a vehicle. And we thought, well, well two is easier than the one. We pulled our money together, and we bought a 1977 four-door Ford Granada. Four-speed on the shift, and it was just rough. That's all I got to say. It was a rough vehicle. It was rough on the outside. The interior was rough, but the engine ran good, and I paid 500 bucks. We drove that car around for a couple months, but that's, I don't like to drive. I just got to tell you, I I know it's still a little bit of pride in me, but driving an old nasty Ford Granada that I didn't, wasn't even really wanting to sit on the seats wasn't my idea of a ride, and so we saved up our money again, and I had enough money, and I saw this guy with a 1979 two-door Chrysler LeBaron. Had a 318 in it. It wasn't a stick shift. Remember, anybody here learn how to drive on a stick shift? Come on, this was an automatic. And it had automatic on, and I wanted to drive that car, and it was so nice. And, and so I said, Lord, let's, let's give our car away. Let's give this car away. So there's another student in our school, and, and I want to call her Susie Jones. Name has been changed to protect the innocent. And I, so let's give this car to Susie Jones. She needs a car. And it ran, it ran real good. And, and so we gave the car to Susie. And I, I remember a couple of weeks later, I, I saw Susie Jones driving down the road. And you know where your gas cap is supposed to go on the side of the car? She had a rag sticking out the back. She had a rag sticking out that gas thing. I'm like, my goodness, Susie Jones, God gave her brains, but they just didn't all the, <laughs> go all the way to the top. I mean, bless her heart. I love Susie Jones. To this day, I love Susie Jones, but that wasn't quite working. And what I learned that moment, what I learned about giving in that moment, is first of all, when I gave something away, it was no longer mine. When I gave something to someone, it was no longer my responsibility. I had no control over it. I literally gave that freely to that individual. I'm not, uh, there was no taking it back. I gave it to them. I never even said a word. I just went on down with my life. The second thing that I experienced and we experienced as a couple, even before we were married, the joy of generous giving. We were broke, busted, disgusted Bible college students. Didn't have two nickels to rub together. But we gave something that was sacrificial to us. And I got to tell you, it ignited something in our hearts as a couple. It ignited something in us. That desire for us to give sacrificially has literally led to a legacy living in our life. We, we pray. Now listen, what I've also known is that in my, my own heart is that my, my own human heart has a natural tendency to be stingy. And the way that I have to combat that is by living generously. But I learned something in that moment. I learned the importance of being all in. What does it mean to be all in? All in means someone who has a drive, a motivation, a a compassion, something in them that's causing them to do whatever it takes to win. To win the game, to win a marriage, to win in your family. If you were a poker player and you were watching poker or you're watching, you're not playing because we don't play poker, we're Christians. Come on. Come on. Amen. Good preach. But you're watching on television, and those guys are they're, they're playing for millions, and they got the shades on, and no one knows that they're bluffing or they got a real hand. And one guy goes all in on millions. And you see those numbers. They're more numbers you've ever seen in your whole life. What I know about that guy is he believes he's going to win. He wins. The concept of 
all in, all in goes way back. As a matter of fact, in the ancient Aztec culture, they had a word that was on their calendar. It was olin. Sounds like all in, doesn't it? But it was O-L-L. You can Google this. It's true. They had a word, and it literally means a motivation to do something completely or urgently. Uh, uh, there would be a storm coming off in the distance, and, and the town criers would go out the, into the street, and they would cry, Olin, Olin, get up. Let's get moving. Put your heart into it. Let's get, let, let's get prepared. There's a storm coming, and if we're not ready, we're going to get swept away. It was a, an action. It was a movement. It was to be all in to, for something that was preferred in their life. To be all in. To be all in means you got to move right now. You got to act with your heart. Being all in today, it's a simple concept. It's a simple concept to talk about, but it's not real easy to live. It's simple to talk about ideas and concepts and making a difference, but to actually do it is seldom easy today for you and I to live an all-in life. It starts with this, this one three-letter word, why? Why are you all in? Why are we all in today? Why are we, why are we talking about money as a church when everybody knows all the church wants is your money? Why are we talking about it? <laughs> I find it funny that when Jesus was on the, come on, someone said, well, I know, someone preaching to me down, down here in front. Jesus talked about it all the time. Jesus talked about this idea, this concept of being all in, being all in. And he uses this illustration of this woman, this widow woman. And, and he's getting ready to challenge. He's getting ready to shake. He's getting ready to, to, to just mix things up in their understanding of what it meant to be all in for God. My question to every person in this room is, what are you willing to bet your life on? What are you willing to be all in on? Is it for a bigger bank account? Nicer house, new car. What are you willing to sacrifice for? I can tell you this, that if you have a goal in mind, I, I set a goal out in the month of April that I was going to learn uh, lose 30 pounds. And I got to tell you, there was some sacrifice for me to lose 30 pounds. There was some miles that I had to run on the pavement. There was a few times that I had to shut my mouth when I wanted to put one more bite in. There's a couple times that I had to push away from the buffet. I mean, from the, bu uh, from the buffet, your body table, uh, table. You know what I mean? We make decisions. We make choices. What are we willing to be all in on? This area of generosity, this area of being generous, living all in for God in every dimension of our life. Giving is spoke about over and over and over in the scriptures. And we would be remiss as Christ followers not to deal with this area of our heart. The first thing that I want us to see in our story, and Jesus speaking of this woman, the first thing that I want you to see is that Jesus watches those who give. He watches. He knows. I don't know. I don't look. It's between you and God. The Bible says in Luke chapter 1, uh, 21 verse 1, Jesus looked up and he saw them. He was sitting in the court of women and he was watching people come and bring their gifts to God to drop their coin 
in a box, to drop their offering in a box. It seemed like the rich many times would give, and it would give to be a show. They wanted everyone else to see how much they were giving. As we look at this woman's life, we see this woman. Jesus saw that she was giving, but he also saw that the rich were giving. I want to say this really clearly right front, right up front here. This is not a message on socialism. This is not a message we're going to take from the rich and give to the poor. That's not what this is about today. That's not what this is about. This is about the matter of the heart. My grandmother was a socialist. I got to tell you, I'm not a socialist. That's not who I am. I don't believe that. I believe that we give because we live to give, because we love to give, and our giving makes a difference today. And when Jesus was looking at this woman, he, he's not saying, listen, we're going to take from these rich guys and give to these poor people. No. As a matter of fact, when Jesus looked at these rich people, he never condemned them for their giving. He would talk later to them, about, listen, you ought to do this, but you're neglecting some bigger things in your life. Jesus looked at the motivation of these people's hearts, and this is what Jesus knew. Jesus knew about every single person in this room. There's a proclivity, there's a, there's a bent, there's, a, there's, a, there's something in us for protection and to preserve and to look out for only us. He knows that. He knows that. As a matter of fact, he would give money a spiritual name. He would call it mammon. Mammon was a god, an ancient god that people would offer offerings to. A god who didn't see, a god who couldn't hear, a god who couldn't answer. And Jesus compared money. He said, man cannot serve mammon. They cannot serve mammon or God at the same time. Uh, you love the one or you use the other. Uh, hear me today. You cannot serve mammon. You cannot serve the God of this world. Why do we love money? Because what it gets for us. It gets power. It gets influence. It gets sex. Money gets things in our life that nothing else will buy. Why does an 80-year-old woman have a 26-year-old blonde-haired, beautiful young lady hanging off his arm? Because he has, come on, he has money. Well, we know that. And I'm not being crass here. But Jesus knew the heart of people. And money within itself was not, easy, was not evil. But he knew our proclivity. He, he knew our challenge in our heart to live stingy lives, to live for ourselves. NPR did a study a couple of years ago, and they found that generally as people attain more wealth, they, their compassion level begin to drop. What I loved about Friday night, I, I love watching our church family come together and pack food bags together. I, I saw some families come and they brought their kids and they were teaching their kids about generosity. It was just such an awesome experience and you could feel the joy in the room. It was awesome. It was amazing. You could feel it on the campus yesterday when we were praying for people and making breakfast for people and serving our community. Money is a powerful tool, but it becomes a, a terrible master. The second thing that Jesus was dealing with was our heart's condition. Jesus said, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There your heart will be also. The heart of God today is for all people to give. Jesus didn't condemn this woman. Listen, when that little poor widow gave, he didn't tell you, hey, you know what? This temple in 40 years is going to get tore down. The Roman soldiers are going to come. He knew all that. He prophesied all that. But he saw something in her heart. He knew that she was giving out of a heart and a desire because she loved God. So Jesus, as he was watching, he was challenging. 
Paul the apostle to the church to the church at Ephesus. He would write to the pastor of that church. He would say, listen, guys, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, he would say, command who are rich with things of this world. If you live in the United States of America and you have a place to sleep, you have food on your table and in your refrigerator and an automobile in your garage or on the street or wherever it's at, if you have a job, you are part of the top 3% wealthiest of the whole world, 7.6, there's a little wealth calculator. You can put it out, you can put how much your total net worth is and you can see your wealth compared to everyone else in the world. And I guarantee you almost everyone in this room has more wealth than over 90% of the world. Paul says, listen guys, command those who are rich in things of this world not to be proud. Tell them to hope in God, not in their uncertain riches. God certainly gives us everything. Do you want to, one of the tithes, one of the tithes in the Old Testament was a 10% for your family to keep so that you could throw a great big celebration and party for the goodness of God that year? You know, we're gonna have Christmas this year. I'm not telling you to spend 10%. That's crazy. But I'm just telling you, even God understood that we are people that want to enjoy life. He's a good father. He gives good gifts. He's not condemning us because we spend on our family and our kids, but he doesn't want us to forget that true living never starts till we start to give, till we start to make a difference, till we start to impact other people's lives through our generosity. Look what he says here. But tell them to do good to be rich and do good, do good deeds, and to be generous and ready to share. Living open-handed, living to give, living to give. The only safe investment for eternity is living to give. Paul would later go on and say, it is the only safe investment for eternity. Done lots of funerals in my life. No U-Hauls behind anyone. No U-Hauls, guys, it doesn't work like that. We have one opportunity, one chance in this life. The second thing that I want you to see is that Jesus challenges our perception of what true generosity is. In that study of NPR, they, they talked about the billionaires that have committed their wealth. But the fact is, proportionately, those who have less give more. And the concept of the Bible was that we were to give in proportion to our wealth. There was a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham was the father of all faith. You and I are in these seats today, believing in Christ. If we're a Christ follower today, our father in the faith is Abraham. The Bible says because Abraham believed, it was credited him to be a right standing man with God. Abraham had faith in God when no one else had faith in God. God came to Abraham and said to Abraham, I want you to give your firstborn. I want you to give your firstborn son, Austin. No, 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 that's my son. You get it? Listen, listen to me. I want, you, I want you to give your firstborn son, Austin, to me as a sacrifice. Take him up on this hill, Mount Moriah, which is now where the Muslim mosque, the Dome of the Rock is at, which used to be the ancient temple that Jesus was at 2,000 years ago. Hear me today. I want you to take him up there, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. You know what? If God said, hey, Eugene, I want you to offer Austin up as a sacrifice to me, I'd say, Hey, is there anybody else up there? <laughs> like, you got to be kidding me. Come on. Abraham knew that God would be his source. 
Abraham knew that if he lived sacrificially, if he was willing to give it all, that God would provide for him. As a matter of fact, when Isaac said, hey, dad, I don't see no sacrifice here. I don't see no offering here. Abraham says these words to him. I want you to know today that our God is Jehovah Jireh. He's the God who shall supply. He says that God shall meet all of your needs today. Hear me today. When it looks to be impossible, God says, you know what? I want you to trust me. I want you to see this proportional giving. I want you to see how it works because we have this concept that uh, it's all wrong. We, 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 we think wrongly about what God thinks. We don't see it the same way. In the book of Hebrews, the Bible says that Abraham gave a tenth. That was a tithe. Everyone say a tithe. A tithe. This is before the law. This is just the heart of a man who God had blessed and gave favor to. He'd gone into battle and he'd got a bunch of spoils and he gave a tithe back to God. The next guy I want you to see is this guy by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus has an encounter with Jesus. Zacchaeus is a guy that when Jesus is ministering and preaching and teaching people how to live and dealing with hard issues, something happens inside of him. And Jesus called Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, known as one who would take advantage of, rip off people. He was a con artist. He wasn't liked in his community. When he came to Jesus... His heart was changed. And Jesus calls him out of the tree and he comes and he all of a sudden, he meets Jesus. And when you meet Jesus, I, got, I tell you folks, listen, listen, we welcome everyone into this church. Every color, every creed, every background, every kind of sexual orientation. I don't care where people, I don't care what station or position of life, rich or poor, I don't care where people are. But the moment that people come to Jesus, people change. Come on, people that come to Jesus, change. Zacchaeus. He encounters Jesus. You look what he says here in Luke's gospel. Luke 17. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord. God, wow, I've never experienced this before. I got a new heart. My heart has changed. I'm no longer just thinking about Zacchaeus and my four no more. God, I'm thinking about others. I'm living for others. I will give half my wealth. We go from 10. We go to 50. And if I've cheated people, I've ripped them off. I'm going to go back and make restitution. I'm going to pay them back. That's a heart change. That's a person that says, you know what? God's coming to my life. The year was 1999. City Church was three months old. We'd been doing a Bible study in my house on Sunday night. And I remember this guy had been coming to our Bible study for three months. and, And he would never say a word. He would show up at church. He was one of these guys. His wife made him come to church. And let me tell you, man, she drug. She was there every Sunday. And he'd come to church and he would listen. He would just arms full, the preacher boy up here, preacher boy's up there, like, like this. And I know there's nobody out there doing that right now, but he would just be looking at me. And I'm like, you know, look at their, don't look at their faces. Don't look at their faces. Just keep raging. <laughs> oh, Sam, he was tall, six foot six. And he's in our Bible study. Wife made him come. One night I broke the Bible open and I was having people read passages. And I said, Sam, why don't you read John 3.16? Sam had a Bible. Somebody had a Bible, and he read John 3.16. And as he read John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Sam began to cry. Tears began to come down his eyes. I mean, in that moment, Sam was transformed. His wife called me on Friday that week. She said, what did you do to Sam? He hasn't stopped crying since. He's laying right now. He's laying on the stairwell, crying his heart out to God. Sam got saved. Sam met Jesus like Zacchaeus. And you know how I know he got saved? 
Because when he showed up on Sunday, he handed me a check. Only way I even knew that he did that. He handed me a check. He paid his whole back tithe for the whole year. Come on, give God a hand today. <laughs> Sacrificial giving leads to legacy living. This woman gave in more. Jesus cares how much we give. Look at verse number four. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she gave all out of her poverty, all she had to live on. Jesus didn't condemn them. Jesus didn't give the rich people forgiving. He didn't condemn them. He challenged them. Is this really sacrificial? Maybe this is just a surplus. Maybe this really isn't costing you anything. I mean, you know, this, you got, the difference between surplus and sacrificial is when I give my surplus, it makes no difference in my lifestyle. I just, nothing, nothing changes. I just keep, nothing changes. But for this woman that gave sacrificially, it changed her life. You know, they're giving that offering, that two mites, that little tiny two mites, which was very, very little, even in Jesus's day. I mean, it was about six minutes worth of a person's labor. Very little was all she had. You know what she was saying? God, I'm going to trust you to provide my meal tonight. God, I'm going to trust you to supply the oil that I'm going to need to put in my house to turn the lights on. God, I'm going to trust you to be my source. She gave more than them all. She gave sacrificially today. Wow. Surplus, surplus, little sacrifice. Sacrifice, sacrificial, great sacrifice. Surplus giving comes out of convenience. Sacrificial giving costs you something to be all in. To be all in today. Not, all, not easy to be all in. There are hindrances to us being all in. Hard, hard hindrances. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. If you're afraid if you're afraid of your future and you're not sure it's going to work out and you just can't see, you can't see how you can share with other people. If you're living and you're saving for retirement and you got money, but you know it's in the future and you're afraid of how you're going to meet your needs. You either give in faith or we give out of fear. We have hard entrances. Some of us in this room, we can't even see our way to give a small offering because we have so much debt on our credit cards and our cars and our school loans and we're just in our eyeballs in debt. We just crossed the line as a nation. We're the most indebted people, not only in the history of the world, but in the history of our whole economy. We're consumers. We're consumers. We consume more. Our whole economy is driven. Our jobs, everything is on us consuming more and is fed into an appetite a borrowing to, today for what we're going to not be able to pay for tomorrow. And bankruptcies are common and challenges and all those things. And we're always trying to finagle how we're going to pay for our future today. And I, 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 I've thought a lot about this, and the scripture has so much to say about it, but the Bible says to owe no one anything except for your obligation to love one another, the borrower, servant, or slave to the lender. Next semester, we're offering Financial Peace University. I would encourage you today, if you are struggling in the area of your finances, if you're still working this through in your life, you need to go to Financial Peace University with Larry and Kim Sargent. There are so many people in our church that have gone through this and finding freedom in this area of breaking the bondage of debt. Ownership. 
Who really owns your finances? Who's really in control today? Are you really in control? Are you really in control? In 2008, the stock market crashed almost 60% in two days. This, uh, this economy is not in our control. This last weekend on Friday, the, the Dow hit its highest peak in its history. On its way to 30,000, 30, broke 28,000. It's a barrier. It's never happened. What we, what we encounter in our culture today is that a percentage of people are getting wealthy, very, very wealthy, but there's another group of marginalized people and it's getting larger and larger and larger. There's a challenge. There's a challenge where people consume. We, we think we own it, but in one day, all can be gone. There were a huge number of people that had to walk away from their homes when the, when, the, when the housing bubble burst here in Central Florida in 08, 09. Many of you experienced that. Who really owns does God own your stuff? Haggai says it like this. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord. And you know how we tell God that it's his? When we choose to give sacrificially. We choose to give God our best. She gave God her best. God challenges us today. Do we trust him? Do we put our hope in him? I want to talk to you about three people. Three people. There are many people. Our story is about a widow and about a woman. I want to finish with the story about three women that have impacted this church. You are here today. You are sitting in the seats that you are sitting in because of these three women. The first one is a, a woman by the name of Joyce Shower. In 1999, her and her husband, they, 1998, they made a decision to come with Miss Laura and I from Seattle to Central Florida. Although though they were in their 40s and he was in his 50s, uh, uh, they had only been married for a year. He took an early retirement from Boeing. The, he was an engineer from the company that he worked for. And, and they made a commitment to come to Central Florida to help start City Church. Joyce was the spark plug. Joyce was the energizer. Joyce was the woman of faith. Joyce would believe when no one else would believe. She would sit on the front row and she would cheer on. And I, she gave the first big sacrificial gift to her and her husband. I remember like, wow, I didn't know people had that kind of money to give. They were all in. They were living all in. She moved here. and She was an evangelist and she would share her faith. And they left after two years. It was a great hurt to us. It was very difficult. They went back to Seattle and he felt like he needed to go back to work and he still wasn't quite ready to retire financially. And so they went back and 13 years later, I called Hank. I said, Hank, would you consider coming back? They were looking at finishing up, and I, I saw on Facebook that he had retired again, and, and I said, Hank, would you be willing to come back? Would you be willing to head missions up here at City Church? When they left City Church until they came back to City Church, they would take teams of people around the world. Their passion was to give. They, they lived to give, and they raised money so they could take people on mission trips. And they went to Africa multiple, multiple times. They went to the islands multiple times. They went to Eastern Europe, and they would take teams of people, and they would lead them, and they would encourage people to give to the cause of Christ. And Joyce came back. And Joyce and Hank came back, and it was the night there was a group of us gathered together and we were talking about the purchase of this facility, right, that you're sitting in right now. And Joyce came to me beforehand. She said, Pastor, God's spoken in my heart that, you know, we're Hank and I, you know, we're re we are finally retired now. And Hank at that time was in his upper 60s, almost 70. And he doesn't have a lot more working years. But God spoke to me while I was sitting here tonight that we were to double our pledge. And I'm like, whoa. And, and, that night, she was one of the ones that would share as a founding member. And, 
she got up there and she stood before everybody and she said, you know, we came here, whatever it was, 15 years ago at that time, we came here to help plant City Church and we've come back here now and I believe it's for such a time as this. Joy stood there and she said, God spoke to Hank and I tonight that we were to double our pledge. It swept. Something happened in that night in that room. It just swept across that room. And man, and it was like, woof. And that year we raised enough money that not only could we buy this building, we have a loan on it, but we were able to put the down payment on this building. Plus, we spent over $600,000 in remodeling this building so that people, come on, give God a great big hand. That all happened. One woman who was all in. I want you to see the next picture. This is Wilhelmina. Wilhelmina means Wilson. I met Wilhelmina. She had just retired. She was a Chicago principal, a teacher in a school, a public school teacher. And, and she was uh, attending church with a man by the name of Kennedy. I assumed at their age that they were married. And I, when I first met them, I said, Miss Wilhelmina, I said, nice to meet you. And I was talking about relationship. And over the next couple of weeks and months, I, I had a conversation. And I remember she was sitting like in a seat right there where you're at. And I walked up to her and I said, uh, I said, well, Wilhelmina, how, Kennedy, how long have you guys been married? She, she said, well, we're not married, Pastor. I said, you're not married? She said, no. I said, are you living together? She said, yeah, we're living together. I said, you can't do that. you got to get married. She said, okay, Pastor, we'll get married. It was simple. That was the simplest conversation I ever had. She said, okay, we'll get married. I, what I saw in Wilhelmina right then is she had a heart's desire to obey God. She just had a heart to obey God, and they got married a couple weeks right in the service on a Sunday morning. We married them, and, and they, were, they stayed married until Kennedy went to be home with the Lord. But we were moving. Church, we were church on the move. I tell people, you could come to City Church if you could find us, because we would be in this building and that building. And we were building down in Longwood, and I had another one of those dinners where I invited a bunch of people that were attending church to come, and we had 66 people that night, that afternoon. We met at the Bonefish, and I bought lunch for everybody, and we were meeting at Bonefish. And, and I was showing pictures of the Sanford, the airport campus and, you know, and all these beautiful things, and we're going to be able to have, finally have a place and no setup and tear down. And, and it was just dead silent. It was kind of like it is right now in the room. You talk about money. Preachers talk about money. Are you kidding me? It was dead silent. And I was challenging the group that was there. Come on. God's given us a good place. We're going to possess the land and, and all that. And, and no one said anything. This lady right here, she's my hero. She's my hero. She's legacy living, let me tell you. She stood up and she said, folks, you know in the Old Testament, Moses stood up before the people and said, God says, let's go. It's time to move forward. You know what the people did? You know what the people did? They went forward. If our pastor is a man of God and you're here today and you believe that, it's time for us to get up. Let's go. Let's move forward. It completely changed the atmosphere of that room. Doubt. Nothing else was said. Nothing else needed to be said. It was time to move forward. We purchased that airport campus. It was another amazing miracle. Wilhelmina is still alive. She's in assisted living now. She's now teaching three Bible studies in her assisted living home every single week. Come on, give it up for Wilhelmina today. One last person today. I'm going to finish with this. One last person. Thank you for sticking with me. This woman, her name is Julie Zahn. She's very special to us. Julie came when we were in Longwood, and and Julie's holding. This is uh, just taken just re very recently here, last couple months, and about five years ago. She was diagnosed with cancer maybe thirty or forty years ago, and she's had continual battles with it. About five years ago, it was metastatic and it reoccurred. And the last five years, she's been fighting for your li her life. And this is such a beautiful picture of the kind of person she was. She's holding a little a little chick right here. 
I love that. Just such a beautiful image of life, of new life. And her heart was for new life. And I remember we were in Longwood, and Julie was that same kind of sacrificial giving person. She loved to give. She lived to give. She told me stories. She was a single mom, three kids, and man, she said God spoke about tithing, and she double tithed in missions. And every time we'd have a guest speaker, she would give. And she's just that kind of person. She loved to give. And we moved up to the airport campus, and I had this heart to start celebrate recovery just this ministry to people with hurts habits and hang-ups and and i really didn't have anyone in mind i knew i couldn't do another thing and pastor glenn was leading the youth at that time and i went to julie and there there was a book on celebrate recovery it was just like 10 steps how to start a celebrate recovery and i handed that book to julie i said julie would you consider starting a celebrate recovery she was a professional counselor she had moved here from green bay to start a uh, crisis pregnancy not a crisis but a bethany Christian Adoption Agency in Maitland and that's why she had moved here and I'd been part of that ministry with her she was an amazing woman of faith she was she was a starter she knew how to launch things she knew how to start ministries and Bethany Christian Services is still a successful adoption agency here in this community and I said would you start Celebrate Recovery and she took that challenge and she started Celebrate Recovery and over the next six years she led that ministry it exploded I mean, we had so many. We had never had a ministry, outreach ministry like that on a continual basis. Not only was reaching people, but discipling people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And it was amazing. Julie finally retired, and she went back to Green Bay. And when she landed in Green Bay, she sat down with her pastor, and the first thing he did was, Julie, would you start a Celebrate Recovery here? Julie started another successful Celebrate Recovery, and the state director of Celebrate Recovery found out she was so good, he encouraged her to go to the churches all over, all over the state of Wisconsin today. There are Celebrate Recoveries because of this woman, Julie Zahn, who not only sacrificially gave her life, but she legacy lived. Her life was a living legacy. Oh, Julie went to be with the Lord on Tuesday. And I got to tell you, when I thought about her life, I couldn't think of a person who exemplified sacrificial giving because when we have a heart to give sacrificially it always leads to a life of legacy she lived her legacy today 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 we can't we took the offering at the end our ushers are going to prepare to come at this time and last two weeks i've stood up here and i said listen this day today i've challenged our congregation in our now what moment to do something a little different there are many people, many people, not everybody, but there's a percentage of people here that really tie, that really give. And the reason the lights are on, the reason the air conditioning or the heat is working, or the reason we were able to give the bags out yesterday, the, the, the hundreds of bags that we gave out, because there are people that sacrificially give here. But I, I challenge you, this is the Thanksgiving season. This is the Christmas season. This is the season of generosity. And I challenged us as a congregation, would you consider? And for many of you, for many of you in this room, a one-day salary is a huge sacrifice. That woman, hear me today, that woman and our story, she gave two mites. That was more than all the rich people gave. Now listen, Jesus, Jesus wanted the rich people to give their portion. It's proportional giving. It's proportional giving. But for them, it was a surplus. For who was a sacrifice? For some of you, one-day salary is truly a sacrifice. Some of us in this room, man, we, you know, we give and and you, you're ready to do this today? I'm going to challenge you. Is this really sacrificial? I, lit, I, I sat in my chair this morning praying over this message. And I said, Lord, is there any stingy way in me? And I was going to give a certain amount. 
And I felt the Lord impress on me to give a certain amount at every service. More. We normally give. My wife texts to give, and I give online. But I filled out one of these envelopes for each service with my sacrificial gift to God today. Hear me today. Hear me. This isn't for me. This is for you. It's not what God wants from you. It's what God wants for you. God wants to break stinginess. God wants to break selfishness. God wants to put us in a position where we're saying, God, we trust you to be our source. One day to give. Some of us can give sacrificially, and some of us are going to give out a surplus. However you give today, I'm believing, I'm believing that something in your heart is going to begin to shift again towards God. God, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm all in. God, my sacrificial giving leads to a life of legacy living. All in. Are you all in today? Are you all in?